Hello and welcome to the Motormouth Podcast with Harry Benjamin and Tim Sylvie. This is the place where we meet some of the biggest names in and around motorsport, chat about their lives and everything in between. We've partnered with the Brain Tumor Charity, a cause that means a great deal to me personally. Thanks to our partnership, we've been able to create a short series of special podcasts uncovering those within the motorsport community who've been affected by these devastating diagnoses. You can hear my story, as well as the Williams Formula One team's planning director, Richard Jones, now with more to come. Also, bookings are now open for the Motormouth Charity Karting event with places for the day now on general sale. Enter your team of four to an endurance race and compete with and against a host of motorsport celebs or pro drivers who will be drawn at random to be on your team. Gates open at 12.30 and close at 6pm. For all the information and to see who you could be up against, head to motormouthkartrace.com. We'll see you there and together we can help every single person affected by a brain tumour. Without you and our sponsors, we wouldn't be able to carry on doing what we do, which is bringing you the biggest names in motorsport and delving into their lives and opinions. This season, we couldn't be happier to be teaming up with Devante Tyler. What drives you? The pursuit of excellence never ends. You can now enjoy the thrill of the chase with Pro Tourer Sport from Devante Tyres. Featuring the latest innovations in tyre technology, including intelligent water management and precision engineered interlocking tread blocks, Pro Tourer Sport has been designed from the ground up to enhance every aspect of your driving experience. Independently tested at Europe's toughest proving grounds by the most respected names in tyre research, Pro Tourer Sport is at one with the driver. Ask your Devante dealer about about Pro Tourer Sport today. Discover Pro Tourer Sports at devante-tires.com slash Pro Tourer Sport. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Tim Sylvie. Now this week, we're joined by yet another big fish from the world of motorsport who hails from High Wycombe but resides in Marlow. And did you know, Harry Benjamin, that High Wycombe is the largest town in Buckinghamshire and is the only town in the world that weighs its mayors. It does this to see if they've gained any weight at the taxpayer's expense. The weighing of the mayor ceremony has been carried out since 1678 and the town has been using the same weighing apparatus since the 19th century. At the end of the weighing, the town crier shouts either, and no more, but if the mayor has not, if the mayor has not gained any weight, but if he has, they shout, and some more if he's put some weight on. Thank you, picturesofengland.com, for that little gem. What do you make of that, my friend? What? So, what, they, they weigh the, the mayor, the person who is mayor? Correct. That, what? Yeah, so they weigh the mayor to see if he's used taxpayers' money to stuff his face full of food and get fatter. How do they know it's taxpayer money, though? Well, you know, the, the, mayor, the mayor's paid for by, by the taxpayer. Well, they don't let anything slip in Marlow, do they? God, they got a bit under... High Wickham. Oh, High Wickham. Sorry, apologies. Apologies to anyone in Marlow. Apologies. Uh, Well, it's always good to to learn. You know what? These uh, you really are doing yourself with these random facts at the start of every single show. We've moved far away from Essex now, so it's nice (laughs) nice to move up up the country. (laughs) Um, Listen, shall I introduce today's guest? Oh, I think so. So today's guest has a hugely impressive CV, which we can track back to 2001 when he worked at McLaren Automotive before onto Daimler and Mercedes, then finding himself the managing director of Mercedes-Benz Formula E Limited and team principal of the Mercedes EQ Formula E team. Throw in some game-changing work with Nico Rosberg in Formula One and you have yourself Mr. Ian James. Welcome to the show, Ian. How are you? 
I'm very well indeed, thank you. And thank you for that very, very kind introduction. I mean, it, it is, it's interesting. I, I never knew that about High Wycombe. Um, and it's given me an idea because obviously the FIA have the scales at the track anyway. So I reckon we ought to start wearing team principles. And, yes. and having a sort of thing going forward. <laughs> what that is a genius idea. Film it. That's a great bit of social content Absolutely. as well. Knocked out of the yeah. park there. Um, <laughs> and anyway, it is great to have you on. Uh, whereabouts are you joining us from today? It looks very, uh, very officey, very busy to see where you are? It, it, it is obviously. We're uh, sitting, sitting in Brackley today uh, at, at our headquarters in the, uh, in the in the UK in the wonderful county of Northamptonshire. So, uh, no, it's it, it's good. Despite the challenges of, uh, of the pandemic at the moment, we're very fortunate that we can sort of at least come in here a couple of days of the week and, uh, and, uh, and, and meet with the colleagues. So, all good. Definitely. And well, let's start with sort of taking it back as, as far back as we can go, really. And, and when that first bit of uh, motor racing, that bug bit you, do you, do you recall it well? Yeah, I, was, I was very lucky to sort of grow up around sort of periphery, I suppose, of motorsports. Um, my, uh, my dad was involved at a, an, an amateur level, I suppose, um, uh, way back when. And I don't know, I think it's one of those things that you either get bitten by the bug and you don't, and if you get bitten, you get bitten hard, and it's very difficult then to um, to get away from it. And that's really shaped quite a lot of the decisions that, that I've taken in my life, um, and yeah, and, and some of the memories that I have as well. Uh, one of the clearest ones that I've got that uh, that sticks in my mind is is being at Silverstone in, in 1991 uh, when uh, when when Mansell won the British Grand Prix and oh, wow. uh, and picked Senna up on that final lap after he ran out of fuel, and, and it's. it's you know, it's iconic moments like that that when you're growing up um, stick with you. And, and if you're fortunate enough to then, you know, weave that into your day-to-day life, then 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 that's something which, um, yeah, you should absolutely take the opportunity. Yeah, 100%. And how lucky to be there at that race. What, what an iconic image. Now, you started um, your career out in uh, out at McLaren, uh, McLaren Automotive. Not a bad place to learn your trade. This was around 2001. I'd imagine back then McLaren Automotive um, or McLaren as a group was a very different beast to what it is now. What was it like working with um, a, a company like that um, 20 odd years ago? I suppose coming straight out of university and, and, and landing a job at McLaren was, it was a dream come true. I think the, the only thing that um, probably wasn't quite so great is that I actually got the job offer um, a number of months before finishing my degree, um, which meant I, <laughs> I kind of took my foot off the pedal a little bit and, and probably didn't do quite as well as I uh, as I could. I'd say from the knowledge that there's a job at the end of it anyway and, and a contract signed. But um, McLaren in those days was um, uh, was an incredibly ambitious organisation as it always has been, and 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 even then the the brand, the name McLaren, meant a great deal to anybody that that had um, a fascination with with motorsports. Um, the automotive side was was in its infancy. Um, we were based when I joined in a in a business unit and working business park, so a long way from the the McLaren Technology Centre that that now exists. But I was there during the time when all of that was built up, and it was an incredibly exciting period in, in McLaren's history and the company's history. Um, and yeah, an honour to have, have, have worked with both the company and many of the individuals that were there at the time. Did you have a, a planned path? You know, you got this opportunity to join McLaren and then was it just to kind of see what happens or did you know I want to progress up the ranks and I want to become eventually, you know, I want to run a team? 
No, there, there, was, there never has been and still isn't any plan, <laughs> I'm brutally honest. Um, apart from that, and it goes back to the beginning of the conversation, being bitten by the, the, the motorsport and I suppose the automotive bug and anything to do with cars has always fascinated me. So um, it goes back to, God, after my GCSEs, I, I did better than expected in those. And, uh, and, and when I came out, um, I remember going to a meeting with the deputy headmaster at the time and uh, so I was discussing the A-level choices and he said, well, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to work with cars. So it has to be engineering. He said, okay, what, what A-levels have you chosen? I think it was English and French and communication studies, so the stuff that, that I was actually quite good at. And he said, well, you're never going to do an engineering degree with that. You need to do maths and physics. Uh, I said, well, I'm no good at those. Um, he said, well, you've got a choice to make. And, and that was, I suppose, the first choice to, was to stick with something that really I, I believed in and wanted to do and, and, and worked hard at that. Um, but no, beyond that, once once I'd got that position at, at McLaren, um, things have just sort of snowballed from there and, 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 and taken me in different directions throughout my career. But I was very lucky at the time that McLaren had the association with, uh, with Mercedes-Benz or Daimler Chrysler, as it was back then. Um, and through that that link with the Mercedes Benz SLR McLaren, um, that's when the first opportunity came up to to join the uh, uh, the mothership, so to speak, and um, and took the opportunity to move across to Germany. It's funny we we've interviewed quite a few uh, team principals now, and and they actually have a similar sort of story. You know, there was no grand plan to end up running a race team. They've sort of hopped from one good opportunity to the next, and often I think it was Gunter Steiner said to us that he, he would always just say yes. You know, if there was another good opportunity, he'd say yes and worry about almost worry about the consequences later. And and it's it's got him through to to the point where he's effectively running a Formula One team. For the young people who are listening to this show, and we have quite a young audience, many of whom might be at college or university, it might be in that position that you were, where you're thinking, well, you know, perhaps I want to go down the engineering route. What what pearls of wisdom can you throw to those people? What what would you give as advice to those who are thinking, I want to get into motorsport, but right now I just don't know where to turn? Um, well, before I come on to that one, I think that uh, just going back to your comment about the team principles and that that sort of common thread that's gone through their answers, I, th- I think that's probably because we we do have one thing in common, and that's we're a bit of a jack of all trades and master of none. I mean, so from my perspective, you kind of work in different facets of the industry until there's really nothing left, and, and you you, get, you think, well, what can I do now as a team principal? I think that that that, that sounds sounds quite cool, um, but. But in all seriousness, I think with the you know people who are looking to, to go into motorsport, obviously engineering is the um, the, the most obvious um, thing to do, um, and the the talent that is um, within motorsport from an engineering perspective is just phenomenal. Um, so it, it does take you know somebody not only to be good at what they do and really good at what they do, um, but also show something a little bit different, and that that's that, that's really the passion. I suppose if, if I've got a couple of people in an interview who are going for a particular position, they can be equally good on, on from an expertise perspective and, and, and the knowledge that they've got. But the one that's going to get the, the position is the one that's truly passionate about it and, 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 and wants to give it their all. And that, that really comes across in, in, in through discussion. And the other thing is that, you know, motorsport is, is incredibly diverse in terms of the number of different roles that are, that are within there. Um, so it's not just about the engineering side of things. There's, a, there's a, a fascinating commercial element to it. There's the marketing element, there's the communications and, and so on and so forth. So 
you know, just because you're not somebody maybe that has an aptitude for engineering and, and wanted to go in that direction, but you still want to work in race sport, there's myriad other opportunities within there as well. So it's it's having your eyes open to that, knowing what your skill set is, and then, as I say, showing that showing that passion at the and, end of the day. And do you think I, I, I can't remember where I was watching? I watched an interview with Toto Wolf. Um, it might have been on the High Performance Podcast with with Jake Humphrey. I'm not sure, but he he was saying a similar sort of thing. You know, almost your um, a jack of all trades and you have to have that sort of well-rounded skill set in order to run a big organization like Mercedes F1 or, or Mercedes EQ. Do, do you think you have to have in your position certain knowledge sets that, that are kind of a prerequisite, whether that be engineering? For example, if, you, if you're if you not an engineer or haven't been an engineer, is it extremely unlikely that you'll end up finding yourself running a Formula One or a Formula E team? No, not necessarily. I, th- I think it, it helps to have an understanding at the end of the day. Now, you know, Toto's path has been very different from from, from my path into into the position, and and I, I don't think he'd ever pretend to be um, you know the world's greatest engineer. Um, but he has, through racing experience and actually racing himself, uh, an incredibly in depth understanding of, of what it takes to, to be a driver and what it takes actually to have a successful team and to run a successful team. So I think that what you do need is that understanding of, of, of the, the, the mechanisms that are working. At the end of the day, you, you're never going to be um, somebody that can can be brilliant at, at everything. Um, so I think actually, in a way, it's helpful to have more of a, a, a certainly in my position, uh, a broader overview of, of the different things that it takes to then leave the, the day-to-day business up to the people who are, who are the real experts, the true experts, regardless of whether that's on the engineering side, on the commercial side of the business or whatever it might be, um, and then just be there to, to support them. But you can only do give them that support through, through understanding what it takes. Um, and that's been, for me, actually fascinating over the past couple of years is really working together with some some brilliant, brilliant people, um, because you get you get fired up by their their passion for what they do, and then, as I say, being there to to help them, um, you know, push push what they're trying to do to to the absolute max. That uh, goes a long way, I think, with talking about passion. In when we move on to uh, Formula E, because I think as well as being one of the probably, I mean, you're absolutely a championship contender, of course, but you need that passion amongst everybody, amongst the team to keep fighting and to keep moving forwards as a team and improving performance. And Formula E has really moved uh, quite a pace over the last few years. You know, you look back at how it was in season one to where it's come now. It's quite incredible, the progression. Um, what What's next? Where does it go from here? Obviously, we look at the, the next generation, which I know Mercedes EQ hasn't stated anything publicly on yet, I think. But, you know, when you look at it, what do you see as the future for Formula E and, and electrification and, and sustainable mobility? Big question there. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. In a nutshell. Um, <laughs> You know, we, we've all seen Formula E go through a number of different phases uh, already. And, uh, you know, a few years back, we were, in, as recently as a couple of years back, we were still very much seeing it as a startup. Um, and I think through Gen 1, when that was there, um, it was touch and go from, from time to time as to whether it would survive. And, and through the... Um, again, the, the, the passion and the desire that, that those involved at the time had to see it through, I think they, they really pulled it through. Um, and then in Gen 2, you saw this wave of interest coming through from, um, from the OEMs, from the manufacturers, and it really hit 
um, a sort of a, a high point when when we, we came into Gen 2 um, and we saw it gather the momentum. And at that point, it needed to go through a sort of a, a professionalization of the series it, it, itself. But the fact that the FIA has seen fit to give it the world championship status, I think, is testament to um, the potential that the series has got as a whole um, for the future. Um, we're seeing the this seismic shift in the automotive industry away from sort of combustion engine to, to, to electrification. So I think that the Formula E as a, as a whole is incredibly relevant. And I think that that relevance will only continue to, to, to grow as well. What the series needs to do now is to find a way of, 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 of stabilizing, find a way now to, through that professionalization, both on the, the commercial side, but also the sporting side as well, um, ensure that it's that it's future proofed. Um, and, and and honestly speaking, I think we're still we're still adjusting that. I think the, the ingredients that it's got are absolutely spot on. Um, how now we bring that together in the perfect recipe, I think that's where the various stakeholders that are involved are still still working that out and tweaking it um, through through Gen two. But I think as we go into Gen three in a couple of years' time, um, then it's got a phenomenal uh, opportunity. And I think that the direction that the FIA are taking the technical um, aspects of Formula E is is, is absolutely spot on. Um, we're trying to balance that at the moment with the the, the business case and financial sustainability of, uh, of, of the whole system as well. Um, but no, if, if they do that and do it in the right way, then um, I think it's it's got a very, very bright future indeed. And, and one of the things that I've been so pleased to see is just how motivated each of the stakeholders are in pushing that in the right direction. So you haven't necessarily got, you're always going to have politics in motorsport, um, but they haven't got to a level yet where that's in any way, shape or form damaging to the series itself. I think there's a huge amount of collaboration between FIA FEO and the teams and, and manufacturers that are involved. And I think if we continue to push in the right direction, then, uh, as I say, the future's bright. Mm. Uh, um, what do you think, though, of the idea? I know it's been discussed, I think, in uh, various news outlets in the last few weeks that Alejandro Gag and, and Stefano Domenicali have had conversations fleetingly about the idea of Formula E and Formula One happening on the same race weekends. I think regardless of that, it's if it were to ever happen, it would still be a long way down the line. But what, what were your thoughts on that? Because is there a danger that Formula E is seen as a support category, which it definitely isn't? I think, yeah, maybe that, that, that danger is there if, it, if it's not managed in, in the right way. But um, I think, we, you know, also we've got to be realistic. You know, Formula One's been around for 70 plus years now. It is, they say in German, the Königsklasse, you know, it's the, the pinnacle of, of, of motorsport. And I don't see that changing anytime soon, to be to be honest with you. It's, it's, it's got a reach which is second to none in the sporting world. Um, so I, I think that that will continue to be be hugely successful. My my personal opinion, and this is this is a very much a personal opinion, is that I see a great opportunity to bring the two series a little bit close together. Now, what I don't mean by that is that Formula E should become a support race to, to Formula One. But, you know, we, we, we're in discussion and have been for some time about well, what, what is the essence of Formula E? What's important? And, and we, we speak a lot about the, the, the city centre tracks, the, the street circuits that we race on. I think that that is very much part of the DNA of, of Formula E. But that doesn't need to be the be all and end all. I think I can imagine a scenario or situation where we race in the future in, in these sort of iconic cities as we do today, be that New York or Paris or London. Um, but 
then at other points we can actually race on um, on on purpose-built circuits alongside Formula One, and 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 the two series in that sense can be inc- incredibly complementary. That's the reason why we as a, as Mercedes are involved in both series as well, because we don't see them as as in conflict uh, with each other. And if anything, we see that actually being involved in both is is advantageous to us. Mm-hmm. So I think there's there's some exciting stuff that can be discussed and, and we just need to find the, the right recipe, if you like. Um, and then you get into the, the, the whole technical side of things um, and that, that goes hand in hand with, with that decision as well. And again, just throwing an idea out here, really, rather than anything that, that, that's being discussed in any great detail. But I can also imagine a situation whereby at the moment we're constrained um, on the city centre tracks, because they, they are temporary circuits, these so-called class three circuits, that we can't go above, you know, 350 kilowatts or, or what have you right. of power. That's obviously then a constraint on, 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 on purpose-built circuits. But if we're to be the pinnacle of, of electric motorsport, why not push that, that technology envelope? So why not have a situation where maybe you can run at 600, 700 kilowatts um, while you're, you know, in the, on the same weekend as Formula One, but then turn it back down again um, when you go on the street circuits. I think that'd be a great challenge for the engineers and would show the adaptability, if you like, of, of Formula E as a series. Ian, is that is that the solution to uh, the situation we saw in Valencia um, recently? So obviously, first race in Valencia went terrifically well for you guys. Um, uh, second race, not so much, but, but the second, the second race was interesting for other reasons. And obviously, um, we saw many of the teams, um, and drivers running out of energy or, or, or literally going down to 0%, slowing, stopping on track and so on. Uh, the social media chatter around that was, well, what do they expect when they go on a purpose-built track? Um, this is why the city centre tracks have such appeal. Is there a solution to that? Is it the additional kilowatts? Is it more energy? How, how do we solve that problem? It, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tricky one, and it's, it's a complex, um, a complex question that, that I suppose, because of the events of Saturday, are very much in the public eye, and there's a lot of discussion going on at the moment about how we, um, how we address that. Um, I think first and foremost, when when you've got a, a a series that's set up as it is today with with the energy limitations, and I think that's done for the right reasons, you just need to be, therefore be careful about the circuits um, that you race on. You need to make sure that they're also matching with that. And I think what we saw on Saturday potentially was, you know, that the, the energy sensitivity of the circuit, the uh, the length of the circuit as well, um, and a couple of other factors which which play a role, which meant that we got into the situation that we did on on Saturday. Um, do I think we need to knee jerk into um, doing things differently? No, I think that we need to be careful and considered about what those next steps are. Um, but at the same time, I, I, I also don't want you know the, to see a, a race again where over half the field uh, failed to, to reach the finish line. I, I think that's not, not, not the image that we want to give. And at the end of the day, um, you know, the, the fact was the car still had energy in them. Yeah. It was almost a sort of an artificial layering, which everybody knew about, which everybody, you know, had signed up to. So I think we've just got to be very careful about how we now react to that and, and also how we communicate it in, in, in the future. I think that one of the key things is that the public and the spectators, when they're sitting there, when something like that is going on and happening, 
you know, there are people on the other side who are able to, to succinctly and in a better way than I ever could do, um, actually bring across the messaging of well, why is this happening and, and, and what's going on here. And I think if we can do that, that would probably do a lot to um, quell some of the more critical aspects of, uh, of what I read on social media yeah. late on Saturday night. Uh, the, the, the Twitter mobocracy was in full flow. I mean, for me, it's a funny one because... You know, on one hand, I understand that, um, you know, the Formula E teams and manufacturers in Formula E want to showcase electric mobility. You want to see that trickle down into road going um, electric vehicles and when cars effectively or artificially run out of energy on track, it's not a great look. But equally, and I know I'm in the minority here, so I'm probably going to get completely annihilated for this. But I, I watched race one. I was like, yeah, good, cool, good race. You know, watch race two. And I was like, oh. <gasps> This is amazing. Like, what drama. Like, th this is why I love motorsport, because of the unpredictability of it. I wasn't thinking at that minute, oh, electric cars are rubbish because all these cars are running out of energy on track. I was just thinking, this is amazing drama. What's going to happen next? Who's going to finish? Who's not going to finish? What's going to happen after the race? I loved it. And and that is an unpopular opinion. And I don't know what you think, Harry, whether you disagree, but I thought it's great. You know, more drama, the better, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I think it was race one, wasn't it, where they all ran out of energy? But um, I think, uh, yeah, it definitely. It's one of those moments where it makes you go. It's you sit up and you go, "Oh my god, what what is happening?" And, and you know, motorsport. That's sort of I would think what it's also. It's it's an entertainment. It's a sport. It, you know, entertain the fans and, and keep them interested. And Formula e has so many different aspects to sort of tick the boxes, I suppose. A quick interruption to the show to remind you to check out our sponsor, Devante Tyres. Actually, I'm not going to say anything. I'll leave it to six-time Olympic cycling champion and racing driver, Sir Chris Hoy. Whether in my cycling or motorsport career, I'm always looking for that winning edge. The difference between ordinary and extraordinary. I'm Chris Hoy, and I choose Pro Tura Sport, the new ultra-high-performance tyre from Devante. And actually, in just from you talking about everything so far i'm imagining there isn't a typical day-to-day -day in the life of a team principal or is there no i mean that's one of the one of the, the i suppose the awesome things about the role is that every day is is is, is generally completely different and that sounds very cliched but it but it but it's fact and yeah. um, and, and also for, for from our perspective we we not only have started up this team, um, but and then come into the, the series in the last couple of years, um, but we've started up an organisation, a new brand new business from from scratch, literally from a blank sheet of paper, in order to to do that. And that's been a that's been an awesome challenge for all of us that have been involved in it. And 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 we we've gone through our own startup phase where we literally didn't have computer systems and and, and hardware and all the rest of it, and we we built that from scratch, which is a a phenomenal, almost sort of once in a lifetime opportunity to, to to be able to do something like that. And now we're transitioning into a new phase of the organisation where we're sort of uh, sort of restructuring things and then moving the team around and making it, I suppose, the structure a little bit more efficient going forward. Um, so in that sense, every day is a little bit different just because of all the different things that, that are going on. Um, the one thing that, that the current situation with the pandemic has meant is that there hasn't been quite as much racing as we we all would have liked and and there's elements of it in terms of the way that we activate at the circuits that that maybe hasn't also been able to uh, happen as we'd like it to happen but that will all come that will all change in the future and um and yeah i, I can't wait to you know get the rest of this season underway and then and then fingers crossed we have a bit more normality in in season eight now let's talk drivers um 
not a bad lineup you've got there. Stoffel Van Dorm came with uh, Formula One pedigree, um, GP2 championship, plenty more. Nick De Vries, uh, 2019 F2 champion. You've got to be pleased with the, with your lineup. Yeah, they're not too shabby, are they? Um, <laughs> so uh, no, really pleased. It was um, Stoffel. Obviously, has been involved since the beginning of the program, um, and after we had, uh, I suppose. To all intents and purposes, dipped a toe in the water in season five with with HWA. It was a, it was a no brainer to to keep him on, um, and it's been brilliant also to keep Gary on as part of the team um, in the role that he's got as a sporting advisor and technical advisor because he's brought a huge amount of experience in there. But when we were looking for the second driver, we also said that going back to the fact that we're a startup and a brand new team, um, we needed the drivers to very much much be part of that that development process going through so we 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 didn't need drivers who just were told what to do we needed them to to give some very direct and and accurate feedback to the engineers and and that's where you know Stoffel had the experience and and has matured incredibly over the last couple of years and and Nick also from the outset I, I remember the first test that we did with him when we were still looking at who it was that was going to fill that that second seat and he just had that ability to come in and sit down and even though he knew that he was effectively in a, a sort of a, a job application process, um, he didn't pull any punches. He, you know, he told us exactly what was right, exactly what was wrong. Um, and it's, you know, aside from the speed that he's got and the natural talent, it's part of that, um, that uh, the, being part of the development, if you like, and that uh, intelligence and maturity that he's got as well. That's uh, part of the reason why he's um, a member of the team. So yeah, very very pleased with them both. I think they're uh, they're also complementary uh, in terms of the way that they work together. So I see uh, I see see good things ahead for them. And what's their relationship like as well? Because I mean, at the moment, it looks like they've got a, a great a great working relationship. They look like they're pals, but. Of course, they both want to win and they are looking like at the moment, you know, they are both challenging for the title. I'm sure as the race is ticked by, that will bring some more challenges. Are you worried that things could get a bit tense? No, not really at this stage, uh, which may sound naive, um, but but it's more a factor of just focusing on, on what we've got ahead of us at the moment um, and making sure that we are um, maximising the opportunities that we've got. I think we've although we we haven't been in formulary for for that long we've seen you know firsthand just how quickly things can change and you, you need to maximize the opportunities that are given to you to 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 to, to bring home points um, and i don't think that we've done that if i'm uh, if i'm uh, brutally honest uh, for a variety of reasons in a number of situations so for that reason we we are are taking it one race at a time and at the moment both Nick and Stoffel, I mentioned it a second ago, are incredibly complementary. So um, the professionalism that they show is is, is immense. Um, for a one-day format, if one thing you know that we need to change is the fact that our engineering meetings, the briefings and the debriefs at the end are far too long and far too in-depth, but the guys sit there and they are very much part of that process where, you know, I know other drivers who just would get fed up and, and say, you know, I, I need to go off and, and, and do something else right now. So all credit to them in, in terms of their, their patience and the input they have um, to that. And I think for that reason, we've uh, we've we've got a great opportunity now to start to capitalise on the momentum that we've got. Um, but it's going to be a, a real slog to the end of the season. And if we are in the luxurious position, uh, you know, towards that last race where it's the two of them 
fighting it out for for the championship, um, then 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 bring it on. I'll I'll, I'll manage that situation when it comes to yeah. it. So I'll be glad. <laughs> no team orders. No team orders. Um, now let, let's talk about sustainability. So you know, sustainability is a big part of, of Formula E. You have the likes of EVR with their race against climate change and their carbon neutrality certifications. How big a part is for your team is that of your purpose? Do you obviously have Vestas who are heavily involved in that space as a, as a key sponsor. How important is that element of things of getting that message across around climate change? It, it's massively important. I think this is where, again, we've had the advantage of, of really starting up from, from that blank sheet of paper because we've been able to put things in place which um, – and maybe easier to do than if you had an established organization um, at the front. Um, I mean, having said that, I think we have to, to remind ourselves every so often that it is such an important um, piece of, of, of what we stand for because, you know, racing can be, can be all consuming, um, but we're quite good at doing that. We've got a number of people uh, within the team who uh, are, equally passionate about um, the environmental aspects and and sustainability as a whole, because sustainability isn't just environmental, there's a a load of other facets of it as well. Um, So we're we're very fortunate to have people in the team who have uh, an amount of expertise within those fields um, and are passionate about it as well and and, and keep us honest in in that sense. So it's one of the things that I said at the back end of last year, you know, we had a huge push to get the FIA three-star accreditation in place, which was difficult because we had no no history, if you like. You know, we were we we were that startup, but we managed to do that. We got all the processes in place, um, but we said this this cannot be and will not be a box ticking exercise. This is something that we need to, to live and breathe. So we, you know, we we, we came up with a twelve point plan throughout the leadership team um, of things that we could implement over the next uh, over the next twelve months over this course of season seven. And we're well underway with those as well. Um, what, what's great to see, though, is, is whether it's Envision Virgin or, or, or Neo or Mahindra or many of the others that are involved, they also want to be benchmarking this. And I think that's a really healthy competition to have. So I think we're going to push each other to, to actually, as I say, not just go through a box ticking exercise, but actually realise some things which are going to make a difference. And if we can continue to do that, within the teams, with our partners, you mentioned Vestas and we've got Neom as well, who are like-minded in that respect, then, um, then yeah, I think it's, uh, it's, it's very much moving in the right direction. Yeah, you mentioned Neom there, that, that's a project and a half, like what they're creating is unbelievable. If anyone hasn't heard of the, the project in Saudi with Neom, I highly suggest you go and, go and give it a Google and check it out. It's an incredible thing they're doing out there. Um, just on the sustainability front, I just want to pick up on something you said there. The I think one thing that a lot of people often brush over is that sustainability has many um, facets. It's not just climate change. It could be injury prevention or it could be um, diversifying in the in the workforce, you know, more, more female talent, more people of certain ethnic origin. It, how important are those elements? If you put climate change to one side... Is Formula E very conscious of those other elements of sustainability as well? I think Formula E as a series absolutely is um, and has been from the outset. And when I when I speak with uh, my uh, colleagues up and down the pit lane, I think that there's a, there's a recognition that, that sustainability, as you say, goes far beyond the environmental aspects and, and diversity and inclusion comes in and, and, and so on and so forth. But again, we we just got to be very careful that we don't fall into the trap of using the buzzwords because they're they're fashionable at the moment. Um, I, you know, we've we've actually got to start 
the sort of the implementation of change, um, if you like. And, and that was one of the things that I was immensely proud of, of what Mercedes-Benz Motorsport did as a whole last year um, with, the, with the, the, the end racism campaign and the messaging and, you know, really spearheaded by, by Lewis and the work that he did. Um, but we were able to, to, to pick up on that as well and, and make sure that we could drive that forward. And I think we've, again, we've got to use that momentum now to, to, to implement change. And it's something that we actively discuss here um, and, and make sure that we're getting the right, the right measures in place. And, um, and you know, we, we welcome also uh, criticism on that. I think it's something that uh, motorsport as a whole maybe um, hasn't had at the forefront of uh, or in focus for, for, for a while, but now things are changing and, and, and those that react and adapt to it will be the ones that prevail at the end of the day. You mentioned right at the start as well that you obviously you're in Brackley right now. Um, we're, I'm assuming both the FE and the F1 outfits are sort of based out of there. Is there much crossover? Are you able to sort of share learnings and does that help you or is it very much two separate operations? No, we're, we're very much integrated. I mean, there's, there's certain aspects which, you know, aside from the engineering, but the marketing, commercial and, and, uh, and, and so on and so forth, where um, without the support of, of F1, we wouldn't have been able to hit the ground running in the, in the way that we did. Um, and we've been welcomed very much as part of the family, which is, which is, which is fantastic to see. And it's for that reason that we're going through a, a sort of a bit of a transition at the moment um, to, to consolidate our activities here in, in, in the UK um, in, between Brackley and, and Bricksworth, um, because I think that we can leverage those synergies even more than we've done done to date, for sure. Um, but there's mutual benefit to it. I think it, you know, it goes in, in, in both directions. Um, and even on the, on the engineering side and the technologies, um, after our first season uh, in Formula E, season six, um, we started to see some of the ideas that had been um, sort of progressed uh, on the FE side start to transition across onto the F1 side. Because actually, when you take the combustion engine out of the game, and the focus is fully on the electric uh, motor and, 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 and the paraphernalia that goes along with that, um, you actually realize where some of those inefficiencies are, where you can actually um, even, you know, improve things because you're, you're not hiding those gaps, I suppose, with the, with the combustion engine. So as we've gone on that journey, as we've, we've made those, uh, those, those steps forward, as I say, some of that learning has gone back into F1. Um, and I think if we keep that dialogue open between both sides and, um, and I, I'm confident that we'll do that, then I think there'll be, uh, there'll be some good, uh, good mutual benefit. It, it's it's so fascinating chatting to you. I think we could do it all day, but I am conscious of time. So I'm going to fast forward to our final three, Tim, if that's all right with you. Yes. Um, which we ask to all of our guests, our final three questions, exactly the same questions. We just like to hear the variety of answers given. So Ian, uh, Tim's going to do the first one, I think. Let's do that. Okay, dokie. Um, right. Ian, what has got you excited at this very moment? Uh, I'm going to be oh god I'm going to be really cliched on this one um, and 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 say say the future uh, <laughs> I think that um, but but if I if I take a look at where we're at now and a snapshot of of, of where we're at in, from, from the sort of the small world that we revolve in with 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 Formula E um, which is tiny in the grand scheme of things. I see a phenomenal future there, and 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 it's super exciting. I said I said before about the the fact that we've gone through that startup phase and then now the professionalization phase, and we we've, we've just got this this 
amazing opportunity with those incredible ingredients to find the right recipe and to be part of that uh, is incredibly exciting and then um on more of a macro level um and i, I listened uh, to, to to your uh, your uh interview with uh, with paul deresta uh, <laughs> day and uh, and it was fascinating to hear his switch away from 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 racing for a second and talking about the kids and and and, and the passion for the family and, and without getting too uh, too uh, teary eyed on it, I, I think actually, if 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 we can learn from the last eighteen year eighteen months that we've all been through, and actually take some positive action for change going forward, then for my kids, for the new generation, then um, we've got a great opportunity, and and we need to grab hold of that, and that makes me incredibly excited as well. At the same time um yeah more more fool us if we if we don't take that opportunity no, good good stuff you, you've got yeah. two haven't you you're father of two if i imagine yeah that. cameron cameron and clary so uh yeah 12 and 10 so a handful 12 and 10 <laughs> no you're at least you're through well are you through the worst of it or entering the worst of it it's a difficult I, one isn't I, it? i've got a horrible feeling i'm about to enter the worst <laughs> harry over to you for number two You'll need all the luck in the world with that, I'm sure. Um, if not doing, though, what you're doing now, which is obviously being a team principal and, and having done the jobs you've done to get there, what would you be doing if none of that had ever happened? Skiing. Oh, oh so often skiing. Yeah. With, without a shadow of a doubt. Now, I think it would be a challenge uh, to actually earn any <laughs> a living from it, if, I, if I'm brutally honest. Um, but... No, my, my passion away from from here and, and motorsport and the business is, is is without a doubt skiing and I haven't been on the slope since last February because of the current situation which is which is killing me um but uh, but no for me standing at the top of the mountain with some some fresh deep powder and uh, and 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 the sun shining down is that the, there's nothing that even comes close so yeah, yeah I'm this I'm desperate to go back skiing I think I haven't skied since around then as well desperate and i've done i've been doing it since i was four so i reckon i could have made it as, as a professional athlete uh, if things had turned out differently <laughs> harry's six foot five i always joke with, joke with him that he he is a ski you could just strap harry to your feet and just fly down a mountain he's just yeah. he's perfect um, <laughs> that, that, that i have to see we'll leave that for another day yeah, yeah. There, there's a video in there somewhere um I, I don't get the skiing thing by the way I, I i must be missing a trick i just do not understand it and i i get Even. the outbreak but I, yeah i just don't doesn't do it for me i don't don't know mind you i have to confess you know first few seasons of formula e didn't do it for me and now i'm like suddenly a, a super fan it's ridiculous um final question for you before we let you get on with your day ian what are you scared of yes uh um okay i can get really deep and philosophical on this one i think um i i'm going to change the word if may from from scared to to what what, what do i fear um, and and the honest answer is 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 pretty much everything. Um, and that doesn't mean that I'm sort of sort of quaking my boots every every minute of the day. But um, I, I I don't know why, but rightly or wrongly, I've I've learned that that if 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 I get too comfortable and I'm in a situation where everything's going going brilliantly well, those are usually the times when something's going to completely have you over. Um, so I, I live under this 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 constant sort of base level of paranoia, 
if you like. And and uh, I'm not sure that's for everybody, oh. but it, it, it works for me. Um, and and that's and, and and genuinely that that stretches everything from the from the times when I'm sitting watching Nick and Stoffel, and there's a million things going through my mind as, as to what what could happen um, through to sort of everyday life back at back at home with the family. Um, so for for me that works, and that's a that base level of fear and genuinely being afraid of everything kind of kind of works i i totally am on board with that one the skiing thing i don't get that that point i certainly do and i I think um in that way we're cut from the same cloth because i have that constant paranoia um to but i see it as a um a superpower because it, it it means you have attention to detail and you you double check and check again and and you know it rules out error it takes away error because you're so worried about making an error that you don't make any you know i i find it quite liberating in a way but i'm exactly the same constantly panicking um yeah, well, well, worrying about well, watch me and watch me in monaco um in the coming weekend after after what happened to poor stoffel on yeah. uh, in, in valencia on race one and the uh, the tire error he seemed don't be surprised if you see me with a clipboard um sort of randomly checking tires checking every single number exactly oh it's good stuff well listen ian it's been amazing talking to you we can talk to you for hours there's there's so many interesting facets of your job that people will find absolutely riveting so thanks so much for joining us um best of luck for the rest of the season um we hope obviously we say this to none of our other team principals of course we hope you see you on the top step of the podium of course and winning the championship the world championship and and all of that good stuff so um ian james thanks so much for joining us on the show and we'll catch up with you in a paddock soon Thanks, guys. Hugely enjoyed it. Before you go, one final reminder to check out our sponsor, Devante Tyres. What drives you? The pursuit of excellence never ends. Enjoy the thrill of the chase with Pro Tour Sport from Devante Tyres. Pro Tour Sport is at one with the driver. Ask your Devante dealer about Pro Tour Sport today. Discover Pro Tour Sport at devante-tyres.com slash Pro Tour Sport. Thank you so much for listening to the Motormouth podcast. Do make sure you give us a follow on our socials, Twitter at Motormouth underscore Instagram. Instagram at Motormouth underscore official and Facebook, just search Motormouth. You can also download the Motormouth app where you can get exclusive video content from MMTV, create your own social profile to interact with other fans and check up on all the latest happenings with whatever motorsport takes your fancy. We're also proud to be supporting the Brain Tumor Charity too, so make sure you check the links in the podcast description to find out how you can help cure brain tumors quicker. Don't forget to like, subscribe and review. And until next time, you've been listening to the Motormouth podcast podcast.